This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. There's a few things that uh, are going on. Trump had a great line yesterday in Flint, Michigan. We'll get to that coming up in a second. Also, a uh, black pastor uh, didn't go as as planned uh, in Flint. Uh, And we also have Ted Cruz in the news. He's got a new ad out. He is trying to protect Internet freedom. This is something so critically important. We're not watching the other hands. We're all so um, bogged down in the fog of partisan war that we don't see that we're about to give away the Internet. We'll get into that and much more beginning right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. You know, I was talking to a uh, friend of mine the other day who um, uh, was, was good friends with Milton Friedman and spent a lot of time learning from him and uh, talking to him and picking his brain. And he asked Milton Friedman, he said, back in the, back in the 50s, um, you know, during the, the time of the road to, to serfdom, were you ever bummed, were you ever depressed about uh, the, the direction of the country and how you couldn't get people to really understand and this totalitarianism and everything else was really taking off around the world? And he said, no, because I never felt anybody was ever trying to burn books. And only when you are trying to silence the opposition, only when you are trying to burn the books, is when there is real trouble. Now, I personally think, we were talking about this off the air, if you lived in the 1950s, Stu, would you have been a part of the McCarthy movement, do you think? Uh, no, I don't Pat? think. Jeffy? I mean, I would have been, but I mean, suspicious of it being a reality, which yeah. we uh, later y- found out. Yeah, the fight against communists. Yeah, I would have. It was the fifties. You, I mean, it was Cold War. So, people, people would you have up been McCarthy hearings too with the uh, House Committee of Un-American Activities? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So let's go to the House of Un-American Activities. That, uh, that's better. Yeah, You're right. That's better. So let's go uh, to the House of Un-American. Witch Hunt in that. that right. Would you have that. gone? Would you have been for? Loyalty oaths. Mm. Would you have been no. for no. shutting down the Hollywood Seven? No. no. Right? No. Neither would I. I would not have been a part of that. Now, maybe would have gotten swept up in it. I hope not. But when you're starting to shut people down and shut other voices down, that's a real problem. A real problem. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we're not paying attention to what's happening to the Internet. 
This president is giving away the internet. Now, this is our invention. This is us. This is America. America developed the internet. This is a DARPA project. How we're it's in part. part. Yeah, it precedes that. I mean, it, 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 I mean, the idea that the government invented the internet is, uh, is not true. And so, ah, tell me about it. Uh, well, I don't have the details in front of me, but the guy, essentially one of the reasons the government hired the guy who developed the internet uh, was because of his idea of the internet. Okay, yeah. so, so, he, so, so let me rephrase it. We developed the internet. I think it's fair. The government yes. developed the internet, and America invented, somebody from America invented yeah, It's safe internet. to say Americans and America, America. invented yeah. the internet. Yeah. But it, it was originally a government project um, that, uh, no? I mean, this is, this would be, when you're talking about this the development of it, right? Yes. yes. I mean, I, I, I it, you know. But you're splitting I, hairs giving credit to the government. It's ours. Yeah. It right. is ours. Yes. So I, what I, what yeah. I want to say is. I just wanted to, What yeah. I want to say is, it, it was an, it, it, fine, it's an individual idea, as everything is. The government doesn't have ideas on its, on its own anyway. So it was an individual's idea. The government came in and said, let's develop this. And it went from there. Face, correct yeah, to say? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's, okay. And it's obviously an American-centric yeah, It is I mean, ours. Mm-hmm. It belongs to mm-hmm. us. Now we are giving it away. And who will be in charge of the Internet? China and Russia will have major seats at the table. China and Russia, both places that stifle freedom of speech, both places that uh, kill their reporters if they say something against the regime? Are we out of our ever-loving minds? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We give away the Internet. What, is, what are most people um, who have a very optimistic idea, these, these um, uh, uh, libertarians, who I so want to believe in their utopian view, why do they have that utopian view that doesn't matter what happens now? Because you'll, you'll never put people back into chains again. Because of technology. Because of I mean, technology. The Internet is the biggest example of that. I mean, look at, right. you know, look at, what uh, was it? Everything works off the Internet. Right. I mean, you've seen uh, dictatorships uh, so scared about the Internet, they've tried to shut it down, and even that didn't work. Right. I mean, even that wound up in their uh, overthrow. Yes. So... I, I, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can shut it down other than turning it off. And even I, that, right, right, sometimes doesn't work. I mean, Correct. So I mean, they have a good point there, but you, you've never seen the full force of a of, global government. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I don't want. I don't care to see the full force of a global government. And no matter what I might say about Barack Obama's government or Hillary Clinton's government or Donald Trump's government, it's still better than Russia and China. Mm-hmm. And I don't want the Internet to go to Russia and China. But we are not paying attention to what is happening. Ted Cruz just released this ad. We have to have the hostages oh, back. Be, they will say no. That would be Donald Trump. Like it's a ad, weird ad from Ted Cruz. I mean, to, to come out and just play Donald Trump uh, in one of your own ads is a strange maneuver for him. And uh, I in don't what understand. Way? Well, I mean, you know. I guess they are both Republicans, so maybe it would make sense. But you think he's making a point about an Internet. Don't, at least use a Donald Trump clip about the Internet. And <laughs> okay, say our country faces a threat to the Internet. 
as we know it. Republican lawmakers are trying to stop the White House from handing over U.S. oversight of the Internet. Conservatives in the Congress are opposed to this. The Obama administration intends to give away control of the Internet to an international body akin to the United Nations. Several Republican lawmakers are putting up a fight. That the Internet embodies the American idea of free speech. That very idea of free speech in the Internet is under attack because the administration want to see the core functions of the Internet be transferred to a foreign body that doesn't share our idea of free speech. Do we want China and Russia and Iran having the power to determine if a website is unacceptable? No. It's taken down. We cannot allow control for Russia or China over U.S. free speech. I will make certain that the Department of Commerce follows the law and we do not surrender control of the Internet to some undefined international body. And I urge my colleagues on both sides of the aisle to come together, to stand together and ensure that we protect freedom of the Internet for generations to come. As President Ronald Reagan stated, freedom is never more than one generation from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States when men were free. That's already like that. I'm already telling my children and my grandchildren what it was like growing up in the United States. We cannot let go of the Internet. We cannot let go of the Internet. Can we put our political divisions aside enough to stand for the Internet? Can we find enough Hillary supporters? Do you really believe, if you voted for Bernie Sanders or for um, Hillary Clinton, do you really believe that the Internet will be better off in the hands of the United Nations or a undefined body of nations that would include Iran, Saudi Arabia, North Korea, China, and Russia. Do you really believe you will be more free if those people are involved? It's interesting There's because no way. this is about, no way. about control. I mean, going back to a former book to- mm. title of yours about guns, it's about control. It's not about anything else. Nope. I mean, you look at... What, what do they want to do with the Internet in America? They want to implement uh, net neutrality. They want to control it. We, we used this example before, but T-Mobile uh, offered, came up with a new offer for all of their subscribers in which you could get uh, free um, streaming of all the services like YouTube and uh, you know, Hulu and Amazon Prime Video and uh, all, the big you know, all the big ones and Netflix. A benefit that obviously would be good for their customers if you're on their service. You probably like that idea. Well, the people who want net neutrality came to the table and said, wait a minute. That means you're favoring those sites. You're allowing more access to those sites. We can't allow you to do that. We can't allow that to happen. And they're in a fight about that now. It's not about what's best for the consumer or what's best for what people do with their own money. It's about what's best for government control. And if you see here, every, I would assume, 80% of Hillary Clinton's supporters and probably 99% of Donald Trump supporters would say, wait a minute, I don't want the Internet to go overseas to some mythical, weird organization we haven't even created yet uh, and have America lose control. I'd rather have our vision of freedom of speech be the one uh, that's in control here. But the people at the top, that is not their concern. 
Nope. Their concern is about control, and if they can get control and then and then have it go to a an international organization, all the better. They want it outside of the the, the greedy little hands of us evil uh, individualists. I mean, have we asked the private citizen who created the Internet what he thinks of it? Uh, during my service in the United States the Congress, uh, I took the initiative in creating the Internet. <laughs> have we talked to Al about it? I bet he's That's, pissed. Play that again. That's he's awesome. <laughs> uh, during my service in the United States the Congress, uh, I took the initiative in creating the Internet. <laughs> during my service in the United States Congress, the Internet. I took the initiative and... I mean, you will not be internet. able to find the truth <laughs> if they if they have control of things. You will not be able to find the truth. Now, mm-hmm. that what they're saying to you is, well, there's a lot of things that happen on the internet that is that is bad. Yes, there there are, but has your life on the total gotten better or worse because of the internet? Oh. You have access to now. Tell me. Tell me the last time you were in a room full of people or even by yourself and you're like, oh, crap, what was the... Somebody will find it. Within two minutes, somebody will find it and then give you more information about whatever it is you were trying to remember. Happens every day at my house. Every single time. We have more access to more information. We are smarter. We are faster we have access. We win Doesn't more radio we have, contests. Yeah, we, we, I'm not saying that we have, um, uh, uh, that we are more wise, but we have access to more wisdom and we have access to more knowledge than man has ever had at any time. By far. Do you have access to more bad stuff? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But that is a problem with the individual, yeah. not with the internet. It's agency that's yes. yeah you, and if you look who's try, who's funding all of this it's all people like george soros and i know the left has this strange love affair with george soros only because you don't look at him only because he's a big funder of things or people that you believe in and so the, and he has purchased much of his support that nobody ever looks at him You read his own books and you will not like him. You you talk to his former business partners and you will not like him. You look at what he says, the way he plays with humans, where in his own words, I'm sort of a god. You will not like him. Overturning governments is fun. Fun for him. And yes, sometimes... Hundreds of thousands of people die, but you make mistakes. I'm kind of a god, and we're seeing what works and what doesn't. Oh, my gosh. This is one of the guys who is the main funder to grab control of the Internet. Now, what could people like him do if they have control of the Internet? See, it's not money that is the problem. It's not business that is the problem. It is the collusion of business money, and government that is the problem. When the government can be influenced by money and by the wealthy, it's over. And that's exactly what we had. And the reason why 
we had real freedom for a very short period of time, but we had real freedom is because we had the press in between. The press wasn't working for people like George Soros. The press wasn't working for people like the government. Instead, the press had an innate sense of responsibility as being the fourth branch of government, of being that fourth branch that was the one that was saying, wait a minute, all three of these guys are wrong. All three groups, all three of them are wrong and are betraying the interests of the American people because the press still at that time saw themselves as just a working man. But nobody is standing up for the working man anymore because the Soroses of the world and the giant corporations of the world are giving the press what they want. They're people just like you. They want most, most people in press, I think, are some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. They're just miserable. And this is their chance to be popular or to exact revenge on those who have made them miserable and are making other people miserable. They started out with this utopian view that doesn't exist. And then they went and looked for those people who they deem are making that utopian view unattainable. Because if those people would just get out of the way, the government could make those things come true. That's what's happening We have to have a free internet, and we all have to understand, you know what? People are going to say and do things on the internet that I do not like. Believe me, I know. It doesn't mean that you go and try to silence everybody on the entire internet. Anybody can write whatever they want all over the internet. They can write it about me, and they do. I do not want to silence their voice. And that is what America is about. Bond Arms is our sponsor this half hour. Speaking of rights, Second Amendment. First Amendment, free speech, freedom to worship, freedom of religion, to practice your religion. The second, right to defend yourself, your family, your property. There are are those that want to take that right away from you. I don't know how they could ever do it except bit by bit. But the more guns that are in the system, the harder it is for that to happen. If you don't own a gun now, it might be a good time to become a responsible gun owner. I will tell you that um, years ago, I started buying guns because I wanted my kids to be able to have guns. And I didn't know if we were going to lose our right to guns. Remember, that's what we thought when Obama got in. And they made a good push for it. I want you to see what Bond Arms has to offer. Every gun from Bond Arms can be converted to suit your needs. 25 different barrels fit every Bond Arms pistol. You can use 14 different calibers. Um, They are small, so they can be uh, concealed. They, They fit in your wife's purse. The Second Amendment is under attack, and you might be under attack. Have a gun that you can use to defend yourself. Do your homework. Check it out now at bondbeck.com. That's bondbeck.com. Bondbeck.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
the last time you purchased your mattress, you were also paying for things you didn't know. You're paying for the showroom. You're paying for the guy's salary who helped you, the commissions, and the reseller's profit. Casper Mattress has changed all of that. They sell directly to you. That's why the most comfortable mattress you have ever slept on is going to save you a ton of money. Cost you much less than the mattress you bought years ago. Casper was invented with two high-tech foams that guarantee that you sleep cool and comfortable with the support that you need. Also, Time Magazine, because of this, named it one of the best inventions of 2015. And your Casper mattress ships free and is delivered in a small, kind of really, honestly, how did they do that kind of box? Tanya and I have a Casper mattress, and we love it. Try one in your own home for 100 nights, risk-free. If you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund every single penny. Go to Casper.com, use the promo code BECK, and get $50 off the purchase of your brand new Casper mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. It's Casper.com, promo code BECK. Casper.com, promo code BECK. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. You know, we've... How much we forget of what we've already covered. <clears throat> I want to take you back to um, uh, Memex when we come back. Memex, Stu would know what Memex is because you did a special on this, didn't you? Yeah, about uh, who really invented the Internet. Because yeah. it is one of those things that I think even most conservatives believe that it yeah. was the government right. that, that came up with it. And it's one of the few good things the government has done. In reality, it doesn't even fall into that category. No. So um, while we're talking about getting rid of the Internet and giving it away... An American invention, an American idea, uh, the backbone is American. Uh, Let's at least look at where it came from. And believe it or not, we're going to start with Al Gore, (laughs) who did not invent it. But we'll give you the history. It actually began, what year would you suppose, Pat? 18... Shut up. <laughs> what year would you suppose? Oh, my gosh. It was right around the revolution. Okay. Like 17... I would guess 70s. 1930. Oh, wow. Wow. 1930. Back in a minute with more. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. tell you a little bit about the truth about the internet because pat just played the inter the 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 inventor the truth the truth here it is the inventor of the internet Uh, during my service in the united states congress uh, i took the initiative in creating the internet (laughs) he created the internet (laughs) how can he say that how do you say that how do you i'll show you how he says that all right let me go back to the very beginning to the very beginning the, the Internet starts with a concept in 1930. And the concept was something which, which was called Memex, which I like better than the Internet myself. Memex. Uh, yeah, better name. Um, Memex was a, uh, a concept developed by a guy named Vandivar. Now, that's his first name. I'll give you his last name in a minute. 
But Vandivar... Um, well, his last name's Internet. No. Vandivar Internet. <laughs> no? No. Vandivar invented the first modern analog computer in 1930. Wow. And his idea of Memex was a way to store all of the world's information using computers tied together. Um, at first, the idea was to tie it all together on microfilm. Um, and most people refer to the article that he wrote in the Atlantic in 1945. It was called As We May Think. And this was the first public unveiling of a, uh, a broader collective memory machine. Because really, it's not a machine, but that is what the Internet is. It's just it's collective memories. And you have access to that brain of memories and ideas. Now, at the time when he wrote this in 1945, he was working as the chairman of the National Defense Research uh, Committee. So he was working for the government at the time he wrote that, but not at the time he had this original idea. Yes, Pat. And it, well, isn't that why DARPA hired him in the first place? They were impressed with his you work. Know, Pat or Stu? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. part of the reason why I, I they think brought he's, I think that's why they were attracted to him yeah. in the first place. I mean, think about it. That's the exact reverse of what you're told, though. This is a man who came up as a private citizen with an amazing idea, and the government hired him because of that idea. Right. That's not the government creating it. And this is the government seeing mm-hmm. what, uh, what the Nazis uh, and the, uh, the Japanese had done with uh, the uh, Enigma machine. How did we... How, the Enigma machine changed everything. We've got to have computers because digitization is going to change everything. It's changing the game. And so the Defense Department knew in 1945, holy cow, we are way behind, especially the Germans. We are way behind. We better come up with something. And so they start looking and they find this guy named Vannevar and that's, they, they hire him after he writes, as we may think. Now, he had been writing about the Memex concept since the early 1930s, and he didn't start working for the government until 1938. So he didn't invent the government for, he didn't invent the internet for the government. His invention, the internet, was one of the reasons why he was hired by the government. So um, it isn't to say that the government, uh, more specifically the military, wasn't highly involved in the development of the internet from concept to reality. Um, but I think it's really important uh, to not give the government the credit, but the military credit. If there's one thing this government does effectively, it is the military. And this is the only time in history that the left gives credit to the military for anything. Yes. All of a sudden, they're, oh, we love them. They're the government. See what we were saying? The government's inventing things. All of a sudden, they love the work the military does. Yeah, except they'll never say that. They no, just they just call the military the government. The government. Yeah. So by the time that Al Gore was 21, 21, the backbone of the, um, of the Internet, Advanced Research Projects Agency Network, ARPNET, ARPANET, Um, had already been commissioned. So here's the backbone, ARPANET. Al Gore is 21. And what did he just say? Uh, During my service in the United States Congress, Uh, uh, I took the initiative in creating the Internet. (laughs) Wow. 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 So when he was in Congress, but ARPANET Mm. was already being built when he was 21. And they laid the groundwork 
starting um, as a network to connect um, research computers one to another. Now, in 1982, ARPANET linked together a grand total of 88 computers. Which at that time was probably pretty good. Oh, my gosh. That was was huge. Incredible. That was huge. Put 88 computers. Now, what the government did for the Internet was foundational, but rather worthless to your everyday life. The unique thing the government brings to the table for projects like this is unlimited access to your money. Now, they took this idea, they gobbled it up, with unlimited access to your money. This is what they came up with, linking them to 88 computers. Can you imagine if, if um, uh, the people at the very beginning, the private sector, had unlimited access? If Vandevar would have had unlimited access to your money, do you think maybe there may have been more than 88 computers put together, especially if there was the profit incentive at the other end. Wait a minute, I have to eventually get this to pay for itself. How does this work? How can this benefit a lot of people? Al Gore couldn't even fathom the internet being created without the government funds, your money, Um, as he detailed in his 1991 article for Scientific America, Infrastructure for the global village, a high-capacity network, will not be built without government investment. Congress must formulate the policies that are crucial to realizing the potential of the, international, of the information age. Just as the internet, uh, interstate highway system was built with federal funds, so too will high-speed networks require federal seed capital. So here's what Al Gore did, and you're going to love this. Al Gore was very successful at using your money. He sponsored the High Performance Commuting and, uh, Computing and Communications Act of 1991. This is what it did. He took $600 million and poured it into high-performance computing. And with that $600 million, here's what he made. Um... <clears throat> Have you ever uh, have you ever heard of the um, uh, the web browser mosaic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 that's what the government did. That's what Al Gore gave you. Al Gore gave you a really crappy web browser that nobody uses. <laughs> that's what he did. Um, yes, the government was advanced the internet, but what turned the internet from a boring network of eighty eight computers to the things? You post a picture of, you know, of your oatmeal in the morning or, you know, Anthony Weiner's Weiner was the private sector. And more specifically, it was Xerox. Xerox is accredited for inventing the Ethernet, the graphical user interface. You know, I have on the set of The Vault, which premieres next week, is an Apple IIc. Have you guys turned that on? Have you guys seen that? Have you been on in the in the? I've seen it, but I haven't turned it on. Oh my god! Wow, uh, is this what I used to write scripts with? I mean, when it came out in what ninety eighty two, eighty three, and it's when computers. So I turned it on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't sat behind this computer since the nineteen eighties, and it does nothing. <laughs> it does nothing. My son looked at it. He's like, Dad, this is great. And I said, and I said, 
you want to play a game on it? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) So Xerox, Xerox um, with Robert Taylor, who was influential in the creation of the Internet, both at DARPA and then as an employee of Xerox, maintains that, quote, the origins of the Internet include both work sponsored by the government and Xerox Park. So you can't say that the Internet was developed by Xerox or the government. It was both. But if anyone should get the credit for the creation of the Internet, it's the guy named Vandivar, not last name, first name, Vandivar, and a guy named Robert Taylor. So I just want to, I want to wrap it up with a couple of things. First of all, Al Gore. He wants credit for inventing the internet. We know that's not true. But he also wants to be known as the guy who conserves energy and is a guy who is saying we can't use all this energy. We, we have to be green. Let me just give you this. According to the New York Times, that bastion of conservatism, they found that server farms for the internet, server farms worldwide use 30 billion watts of electricity but wait al it gets better data centers on average use only six to twelve percent of the electricity powering their servers to perform any kind of computations the rest of the electricity is used just in case there's a surge of activity so in other words uh, about 90 percent of it 88 percent of it is completely wasted energy. (laughs) So, Al, I want everyone to know that Al Gore wants to take credit for the creation of something that wastes 90% of 30 billion watts of electricity. It sounds pretty green. Oh, and one more thing. Just, there's no relation But just to make everybody feel better, if you have my point of view, and everybody who really loves Al Gore will make them feel really, really bad, and I don't want to be the one that rubs salt in the wound at all. But Al Gore didn't invent it. Vandivar did. And his last name is not Gore. His last name happens to be Bush. Just thought I'd leave you at that. <laughs> and now, our sponsor this half hour is Simply Safe. Home security business, total ripoff. Um, the great thing about America is that when something isn't working, um, and especially when there's new technology involved, you can reinvent the entire system. And this is a perfect example, home security. You pay $40, $50, $60 a month. You have a long-term contract. You can't get out of it. Um, You uh, have to buy a security system that you're paying for over multiple years, really skyrocketing prices. They come in. They have to wire your entire household. And then if you don't like their service, it doesn't matter because you're going to get into the same kind of system with somebody else. They're going to replace the system that is in your house, and then they're going to charge you $40, $50 a month, and you're going to be in a long-term contract. 
So technology comes through and says, we don't need wires anymore. And then um, business changes and they, they want to be more transparent and they know that, you know, the more competition, the better. And now that it's not wireless, why even have the strings to a contract? And so these people say, I can build a better home security system. It'll be yours. You can own it. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. It's portable, so you can move it from, your, you know, from the house that you're in or the apartment you're in to the next house or the next apartment. And you don't have a contract. It's $14.99 a month for the monitoring. You want it one month? Great. Pay $14.95 or $99. You don't want it the next one? Don't pay for it that month. It's, that's the way they work. This is the system of the future. This is creative destruction. Visit simplysafebeck.com right now. Simplysafebeck.com. It's a system that we have in my daughter's house, and I helped install it. It's really easy, and um, it's game-changing. Game-changing for the, in, uh, the, um, uh, the industry and game-changing for you. Free shipping on your order, free keychain remote right now. If you go and order at uh, simplysafebeck.com, that is, uh, the keychain is, I think, like 25 bucks. Simplysafebeck.com, simplysafebeck.com. Glenn Beck Program. Triple eight seven two seven beck Mercury. Is the Glenn Beck program. Like you know, not quite. We're just talking about what an amazing company Xerox uh, was if they just knew how to apply their yeah. inventions. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, they knew how to. Fortunately for them, for Xerox, Gates and, and Jobs knew what they had. Yeah. And in fact, Bill Gates once said, or is credited with saying, that uh, both Steve and I had a rich neighbor named Xerox that we stole from some something to that effect in other words they went into xerox because they knew xerox you know had the mouse they had uh the the operating system they had they had the internet and these guys knew they didn't take the internet but they knew what to do with the mouse and and the operating system right they had no uh, look where it wound up for them now they're just a copy machine company that happens all the time with people who invent something and they have no idea what they have yeah. and somebody else is like uh yeah that's good i'll take that hey, i'll give you a hundred dollars for that right. the guy $100? who hundred dollars guy who invented the i think it's the amplifier tube um had absolutely no idea what it what it was had no idea really yeah and it was armstrong uh the guy who invented fm radio that bought it as a kid and left it on a shelf because it didn't really work and left it on a shelf, and he was an inventor, and he wanted he saved up for this amplifier tube, and and it just didn't it didn't work, and he took that, and I can't remember what he invented, but I I, I think it was FM radio, I think it, what came out of that tube was FM radio. Again, taking somebody else's work and going, no, 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 that's not what that's for. It's for this. That's personally that's why capitalism works, because people get stuck with it. The government had 88 computers. They didn't know what to do with it. Then 
Xerox took that idea, made the internet. They didn't know what to do with it. Steve Jobs, Apple and Microsoft, they looked at what Xerox had that they didn't know what to do with. They did. That's the way it works in capitalism. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. So you probably have heard of FanDuel, uh, weekly fantasy football. Uh, you, can, you, know how, you get to draft every week, so you don't have to worry about these injuries that wipe out your entire season. But you might think, I don't know if I want to try it. Uh, you know, everyone's been on there for a while. They're going to go on there. They're going to take my money. They're going to, I'm going to lose. Well, FanDuel has solved that. Uh, try FanDuel now. They're going to give you up to $50 in free entries. Now, new users who deposit, you're going to get five free entries to NFL 50-50 beginner contests. So you're going up against other people who have just started on FanDuel as well. This is valued up to $50. You'll get one free entry a week for five weeks. So, I mean, you're talking about a third of the season they're going to pay for. So why not take their money and try this? Uh, the value of free entries oh. is based on, uh, varies based on the deposited amount. If you go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my promo code STU. That's FanDuel.com, promo code STU. Try it out on them. FanDuel.com, promo code STU. Void where prohibited. Hello, America, and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Lots of things to talk about. One of them is the under ticket. Everybody's talking about the president uh, and the election in November, but what happens in the House and the Senate is perhaps even more important. FreedomWorks has something called ensuring victory. We want to introduce you to a few of the people that we think you need to know about, and we'll do that right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Adam Brandon from FreedomWorks is uh, here. We We are looking at, can we find constitutionalists to actually stand against whomever is in uh, Congress, or I mean in the White House, that wants universal health care, be that Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Can we find some constitutionalists um, there is a new pack, FreedomWorks pack, that is out, and Adam Brandon is here to uh, talk about it, of trying to find and single out a few candidates that we have to have in Congress and the Senate. Brad, uh, Adam, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on this morning. Good. Can you tell me about, um, I've got Andy Biggs, Paul Gozar, yep. Rod Blum, Scott Garrett, and Daryl Glenn. Who Correct. do you want to start with? Well, let's start with Andy Biggs, because that's a good story where that's a victory that we've had as a movement. He's currently clinging on to about a 19-vote win from a few weeks ago. And his opponent, uh, kind of uh, one of these chamber commerce types of Republicans, they're going after him trying to claw back those votes. But he is now officially certified in Arizona, which means that's one we got to help out with um, 
uh, finances to help sure that make sure that he can send off the legal challenge. But it looks like he's going to be heading to Congress to replace uh, Matt Salmon, who has retired. So okay. that's a big one. Okay. Uh, the other one that you mentioned that is that's real important to us is Rod Blum in Iowa, Iowa's first district. Uh, his first vote when he got into office was against uh, John Boehner. And ever since then, he's been, I guess, not invited into the Washington parties and all of that. So he is he's fighting in a Democratic district, but he 100 percent is a constitutionalist. And, and that's one that I think is important to show that someone with his value set can win, and even in a blue district. And then for the Senate, if you want to have a pickup in the Senate and you want to have another Ted Cruz in the Senate, it's Daryl Glenn. And so the only Senate race we plan to be playing in this cycle is to help Daryl in Colorado. Uh, he's, for the information we see, he's down, and his opponent has, I think, like $11 million on hand. But he's within Holy striking God. distance. And so if he can get the like the grassroots and uh, and and Donald Trump doesn't completely tank in Colorado, Daryl Glenn's got a got a real chance of joining Ted Cruz. Tell me why he's the guy. I think we've had him on the air. And have we had Daryl Glenn on the phone before? We should have him on the phone. Why is he the guy in Colorado? But he has a great record from back with he when you look at his voting record, uh, he's proven he takes the tough votes. The other thing that's, that's great about him is we, we always talk about trying to get uh, you know, all these new, fresh faces into the Republican Party. Uh, he's, a, he's a younger gentleman. He's an Air Force person. Uh, he's, he's, uh, ethically, he, he, he would be the second black Republican to get into the Senate, um, joining Tim Scott. And so he's everything that, that you look at his resume that the Republicans should be trying to, to reach out to. But, of course... He's because he's so principled. They're like, ah, he could never win in a in, in a state like uh, Colorado. But uh, he's going to make it close. There's no doubt about it. The question is, is can we put him over the top? Okay, so tell me how the uh, the the Freedom Works Pack works. What do you need? What what can we do to help these guys? Well, the main thing that we need is people to not get so distracted by the presidential campaign well, you and take a look at these important races. This is a hard cycle for us in the sense. There's not a whole lot of Mike Lee's and Ted Cruz's out in this race right now. We just talked about uh, Daryl Glenn. We talked about a couple of these House races. But my main concern in the cycle is everyone spends all this time talking about uh, Trump and Clinton when I think you said this at the beginning of your program here. It, it, we're going to be able to, no matter who wins the White House, there's going to be a big fight for our principles, big yes. fight. And so we need people who are going to be – in fact, I think the big fight's going to be not standing up for Republicans or Democrats. It's that the Congress is going to have to reassert its Article One powers, which is it's, – it, and, and, and uh, Congressman Massey said it best. What we seem to be doing right now is electing our next monarch, and Congress is becoming yes. the court jesters. Yes. So yes. we need to find people who are not just going to simply be court jesters to a Clinton or a Trump White House, but people who are going to be there to, to say, hey, I'm here to do oversight of our bureaucracies and get spending under control. Have so what you, can people do? Please, yeah. make sure you're paying attention to these House and these Senate races. Uh, Danny Tarkanian in Nevada would be a good pickup. Mia Love in Utah, if you're in Utah, uh, she's actually down a little bit to her Democratic challenger right now. We got to hold her seat. And, uh, and if you're in New Jersey, Scott Garrett, 
Uh, he's a Freedom Caucus member who can see the skyline of Manhattan, and he's been abandoned by the uh, by the Republicans in Washington. All of these folks, they need need help going door to door, help calling, make, making phone calls, and also they need our financial support. Okay, is there a website? Have you put the website together with these guys on them? So sure, I would just don't. send people to freedomworks.org, and it's, you're just a click away from finding all the information you need. Okay, all right. Um, uh, thank you so much, uh, and um, let's let's talk to you and find out when you have something to report on on some of these guys uh, and any kind of news or any kind of help that they need. Will you let us know? Absolutely, absolutely, Glenn. Okay, thank you very much. Freedomworks dot uh, org, freedomworks dot org, or freedomworkspack.org. Um, you can uh, go and find out these guys again. Two in Arizona, one in Iowa, New Jersey, and Colorado. You want to volunteer your time. You want to make phone calls. The names Andy Biggs, Paul Gozar, both of those are in Arizona. Daryl Glenn in Colorado for the Senate. Boy, do we need another guy in the Senate. Um, Scott Garrett in New Jersey and Rod Blum in Iowa. Um, We'll keep you up to speed on that. And could you do me a favor tomorrow maybe on tomorrow's broadcast, kind of look at those races and see how close those guys are Definitely um, for that? Yesterday, I am, I'm really kind of, and if we have time today, I, I, I want to go over uh, some of the strategy of, of where I am mentally uh, and where I think we need to be for the day after the election. But I am really trying to concentrate on um, history. And I'm trying to um, tell the stories of history that connect us to our principles and, quite honestly, correct some of the mistakes of history and one of those mistakes, um, I think, is the, the battle of the currents uh, between Edison and Tesla. Tesla won, but Edison is the one who looks like he won in all of our history books. And Edison was a very bad guy, very bad guy. And um, Edison is a guy that uh, um, colluded with the government, colluded with big business, colluded with um, uh, Wall Street and stomped out the competition. Anybody who was competition to him, he slaughtered them. And in really, I think, wicked and evil ways uh, towards the end. Uh, and he got what he deserved. Now, he didn't get what he deserved in the history books, but he got in life what he deserved. Um, uh, Tesla is the real hero. And and I think we have a look on Tesla that is unlike anything I've ever heard before uh, on Tesla. And that is the, the God side of what I think Tesla was. And there was a turning point in both of their lives. Last night, we started something um, on the Blaze TV. Um, I started a new show called His Story. And it tells the story of some of these people um, from history that I, I think we need to learn from. And what, you're, what I got out of their story was it's the, it, the ends don't justify the means, and it's not good to stifle the competition and to collude with the government, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, those aren't the good things that you should be doing. Um, uh, and we, we premiered this episode last night, episode number one of his story, and it's available now in its entirety at glenbeck.com. You can just watch it for free today. It's a two-part episode, and we're giving you this one for free, so you can just watch it. And, and uh, I think the podcast of it will also be free, and that debuts, I think, today. 
these will all be podcasts. I want you to hear just a little bit. And this is why I think it's different than the story most people tell of Tesla and Edison. Because I think the central character that drives this story is a murderer, an axe murderer. Here's a little bit of last night's show. Guy who was born in Buffalo, born into bad situation, poor. He was a heavy drinker, an alcoholic, and and very, very low class. Um, and he saved all of his money to be able to get a push cart. And he would sell vegetables or whatever he could sell on the street with his push cart. And he takes the push cart and he... He does his business, um, and he comes home at night, and he's not the greatest of guys, as Prohibition later would try to correct these men that would get all sauced up on fire water and beat their family, beat their children. He has a common-law wife. Her name is Tilly, and um, Tilly is at home with their daughter. He comes home one day. And um, he comes up the stairs. They live in this just rat-infested apartment complex. And he comes um, into the house and opens up the door. And uh, she's in the kitchen. She's making dinner. A scuffle breaks out. He becomes enraged and starts hitting her, beating her. And she thinks she escapes a a night of really bad beating because he leaves. What he does, however, is go down back to his push cart where he has all of his tools and he gets a hatchet. And he comes back into the uh, apartment and he violently and and, uh, insanely rips his common-law wife, Tilly, apart with the axe just brutally kills her blood splattered everywhere she is in pieces and the child is screaming stop daddy stop he finally does and he drops the axe blood everywhere he looks at his child and turns The entire hallway of the apartment building is just stacked with people. And they are all trying to get in. Um, He calmly opens up the door. And people back up after seeing him. And he pushes his way through the crowd and he says, Well, they'll certainly hang me for that. That is where this story begins and ends if it's my story. Because I think this is the turning point. This is where three men are all brought together. At that point, they're all brought to this point. And all of them make a decision at that moment that changes the course, not only for them, but for us, for us today. That is, um, uh, that is the opening of uh, the Edison and Tesla story. And, uh, you know, episode number two is really 
remarkable. If you want to see this, we've made it for free at glenbeck.com today. Um, you can watch it on demand if you're a subscriber of The Blaze. Um, but uh, we, want you to, we want you to see it and, uh, and hear it. It's something that you can watch that is really, really good. But also we've made it for audio only for podcast, uh, podcast purposes as well. Um, that is um, the first history show. Next week, another history show called The Vault um, premieres. And I was so happy to read the reviews yesterday um, from uh, Blaze subscribers. Glenn, the show was great. I watched the Think Tank show yesterday on demand. Finally, uh, the shows I've been waiting for you to do for so long. I can't wait to see what else you have in store for us with The Vault. Uh, Mr. Beck, brilliant. Um, you are a master storyteller. Uh, thank you, thank you, and again, thank you. This is by far a favorite for me. Uh, let's see. Uh, Melanie, Glenn, love the show. Fantastic storyteller. I already knew that, but this was outstanding. Um, can't wait for the next show. Uh, Glenn, that first episode was fantastic. Can't wait for number two. Uh, uh, I was in the wholesale electrical supply business for 30 years. I've been interested in George Westinghouse as he was instrumental in the modern electrical systems. Uh, thanks so much. Glenn, love the show tonight. History. Um, I don't think I can wait till next week to hear the conclusion. You're killing me. Keep these shows coming. Glenn, it was awesome. Can't wait to see what The Blaze has in store. The new shows are amazing. Glenn, loved tonight's episode. History is so much more interesting when it's told as a story. Can't wait next week. Um, uh, Glenn, um, my daughter and I curled up on the couch and we watched it. We can't wait for the next week to get here. Thanks for making history interesting for me and my daughter. Um, anyway, we're, we've started a brand new season and a whole new direction. And that one person who said, Glenn, I see light in your eyes. There were several people that have said that um, in the reviews last night, that um, this, was the, this is the Glenn they've been waiting for. This was the, um, uh, they saw it again in my face. And that is true. We are creating, I love history and I love learning history to be able to do these stories. And last night we taped something for the vault that is coming in in about five weeks. And I am so excited. Ellen, who is our content person, she said she was on the set with us. And I said, um, is this all making sense? Because I just tell the stories. I said, is this all making sense? And she's like, um, your excitement to learn about this is infectious. And it, we all are learning together, and it is, it's fantastic. And if you want to learn about history, but more importantly, the principles, what does that story teach us that we can use today? What is it we're supposed to learn from this? And it certainly is not the memorization of the name or the date. Watch it uh, right now on demand at theblaze.com. Uh, uh, slash TV, or you can watch it for free. Just uh, stream it live right now at glenbeck.com. Be up there for a few days. All right, our sponsor this half hour, Goldline. You may think that when you deposit cash in the bank, it is a personal asset you own, but it's not. Once the deposit is made at the bank, it is no longer your property. It belongs to the bank. What you own is a promise from the bank to repay you. It's something called an unsecured liability. The cash deposited into banks technically makes you a creditor to the bank. You can get burned if the bank makes bad bets and gets into trouble. And the risk isn't insignificant. As we all know from 2008, 
the banks were bailed out. This time, they're not going to be bailed out. They're going to go for a bank bail-in. And if you ask your bank, if you can read their new language on bail-ins, most of them now have the language in the fine print. They changed this. After TARP went through, they changed this. They knew the government's not going to bail them out again. And they are more leveraged on Wall Street than they were in 2008. It's the situation is much worse. And the government's not going to bail them out this time. You are. When you put your money in the bank, you read the fine print. They can come and take your deposits to pay down their debt. It's called a bail-in. And in one country, it's already happened. But the language is in your bank now as well, most likely. I want you to call Goldline today because that is a secured asset. That is something that you is tangible and you have it. Buy with confidence with Goldline's price guarantee program. Act now. Ensure you inquire the gold bullion units that are exclusively available at Goldline. Call for more information. Do your own homework. You're smart enough to figure it out. 866-465-3546. Read Goldline's important risk information at 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Our history of the 912 project uh, is coming up. The the final episode in that as we uh, uh, launch the week of 912. Also, I don't remember seeing this guy on the list of Supreme Court nominees, but Donald Trump has made it clear today he will nominate Peter Thiel to the Supreme Court if he wins the presidency. Um, he has told friends uh, that um, he is he is. Uh, deeply loves Peter Thiel and wants him on the Supreme Court. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. It is difficult to quantify the impact of the 912 project, although there are definite tangibles. The movement produced the Black Robe Regiment, pastors and ministers all over the nation banding together to strengthen America's pulpits. Because of the involvement from 912 Project and the Tea Party, several great candidates were elected to Congress and Common Core was stopped in several states. Those were just a few of the fruits of what can happen when Americans get together and surround them. But at the very beginning, Glenn Beck was unsure of exactly how to begin and what direction to take after the initial call from Ed in New Haven that sparked it all. I didn't know what I was going to do with 
Ed's call uh, at first. I, I knew that there was a, um, I knew this feeling was growing in America because I was feeling it. Everybody was. But I didn't know how to fix it. And we needed to find a way to show people that they weren't alone. Um, because that was the first step in, in healing and fixing things. Knowing that healing did indeed have to occur, but being confused as to exactly what shape that healing would take, he needed some time to reflect and consider the options. After spending some time in thought, because at that time I was against the Tea Party. Santelli had just done his thing on CNBC. We're thinking of having a Chicago Tea Party in July. All you capitalists that want to show up to Lake Michigan, I'm going to start organizing. With all of the emotion and capitalist ideals being promoted by Rick Santelli, why did Glenn initially oppose the Tea Party? So he calls for a Tea Party, and I thought it was wrong because at the time he was talking about taxes and what I felt the country was feeling was not about taxes they were talking about a loss of control of their own lives and a, a loss of principles and values and so I came up with principles and values and I put them down on paper and I think it was right before I went on the air one day I looked at those lists and I was trying to come up with a name and I knew I was, I knew everything that I had written down on the paper had come from a place in my mind of what was it like on the day after 9-11. But I hadn't thought of it as 9-12 yet. It was just the day after 9-11. And I counted and I had nine principles and 11 values. And I counted them and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I add one more... It's the day after 9-11. And I don't remember which was the last one that I added, but that's when I decided to call it the 9-12 Project. As the Tea Party continued and demonstrated more substance than simple tax protesting, Glenn's opposition to it disappeared. And both on radio and television, the Glenn Beck programs reflected simultaneous support for the 9-12 Project and the Tea Party. We talked to Glenn about what he believed was the best thing to come from the 912 project. I remember standing in the lobby of the Fox building, which was this enormous lobby, a full city block. The entire bottom floor is lobby and elevators. And I was standing in the back entrance and I could see all the way, a block, I could see all the way up to the front. And they told me that the Fox servers had gone down because people were sending in their pictures. And I wanted to make some sort of mosaic. And we were concerned if we would get enough pictures for the mosaic. And this was a week into us saying, send us your picture. And I remember someone saying to me, I said, so do we, are we going to have enough pictures? They said, Glenn, if we stop right now, we could cover this entire wall all the way around the building in pictures. And I realized, holy cow, people are feeling exactly the same way. So there was a palpable, demonstrable sense of oneness 
of Americans coming together in a common cause and actually taking action. That provided much-needed energy to the movement at a time when Americans were feeling alone and defeated. It was around that time that Glenn began forming the idea to try to bring all of these energized, like-minded Americans together for a healing event. A chance to see and be with others who felt the same way, to experience the reality that we surround them. That led to 828-2010. On the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on the Mall in Washington, D.C., just a few steps away from the spot where Martin Luther King Jr. had delivered his riveting I Have a Dream message in 1963. Glenn was asked what was the most memorable aspect of that event or the other events in Israel and Birmingham. I think the most memorable had to be Washington and feeling the calm and the peace and the goodness with half a million people there and Black Panthers marching in and trying to um, get people angry. It was such a feeling of godliness. Uh, It was overwhelming, truly overwhelming. It was an amazing crowd of half a million people from all walks of life and every corner of the nation gathered together with a common purpose. Even as the left-wing media forecast violence, none broke out. At an event with so many people there, it would have been the 35th largest city in America. There were a total of zero arrests. In fact, the event was so peaceful, the participants actually left the mall cleaner than when they arrived. Glenn continued with a description of what he felt in Israel. I had, in, in a very different way, the same feeling in Israel. But that, that just felt like a sacred mission. It had felt almost foretold. It was weird. It had never felt anything like that. Glenn has mentioned many times, however, that he was very confused afterward about why the Glenn Beck staff went to Israel, not knowing exactly what was accomplished. I, You know, every single one of them I did because I felt compelled or commanded to. You know, no one believed in the Washington rally. Everybody told me, Glenn, this is going to be the biggest humiliation of your career. No one is going to show up. Everybody fought me on it so hard. Um, When it came to Israel, I actually had to take my own money and uh, put, I think, 10 people on a plane because the pressure on me was so heavy from God. It was, every time I closed my eyes, I'd hear, go to Israel and declare and I didn't even know, declare what? And um, uh, we got on the plane, and we were sitting in the airport, and John Hagee's uh, right-hand man uh, was with me. I invited him, and he was the skeptic, if you will. And everybody who came with me, I selected because they didn't think it could be done, and I was chief among them. And um, I'll never forget, he looked at me at the airport, and he said, Glenn... It's too late. You'll never be able to get this done. Nothing's been done like this. It's going to be way too expensive. Yada, yada, yada. And I just looked at him and I said, don't tell me because I agree with you. Tell God. And 
So I really expected something big to happen because we were the first people to speak on the Temple Mount, at the Temple Stairs, where Jesus turned over tables. Uh, We were there, and we were the first Christians to be allowed to speak there since the Romans. And And the permission had to come from the chief rabbi, which... Everyone told me, including the mayor of Jerusalem, you'll never get it. It's never going to happen. He was called at 11 o'clock at night and heard one question. Glenn Beck wants to do this in this space. Can he? The, The answer I was told by everyone will be no. I expected it to be no so I could go home. And he said, yes, tell him yes. First time since 70 AD. That same rabbi, in a way, really contributed to his expectations about the impact of this event. Glenn explains that. I met with that same rabbi the day before, and he called me at my hotel and he said, I need to meet with you in my office because I want to talk to you about what must be said. And I had been praying for weeks on what I had to say. Every word I toiled and prayed on and I thought, if he tells me I have to say something different, I, I don't know what's going to happen because I won't say what I don't believe. And he started to tell me. I went to his office and he started to tell me. And I just burst out in tears. And I said, Rabbi, we're listening to the same messenger. And I handed him my speech and it was almost word for word. And so when you have those experiences, you expect something big to happen. And nothing did. Hindsight is always 2020, but looking back on this, Glenn talked about what he learned from it all. Change the course of events. I think we're supposed to change ourselves. And I think what remains of us is a remnant. But with that remnant is a seed that our children use to start all over again. A tough question to contemplate. But now, here we are, at the intersection of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Did you contribute to Donald Trump winding up as the Republican nominee and leaving America at this juncture? I think we all did, in our own way. Not realizing it. At the same time, and I just read a a clipping the other day that said, you know, Glenn Beck, you know, he contributed to Donald Trump. I was on the air warning about the rise of the right. Um, I guess in 2010, maybe 11, 12. I don't remember when it was. It's all a blur now. But towards the end, um, I really realized we just we have to worry about the beam in our own eye and forget about his sliver or somebody else's sliver and I wish I would have figured that one out earlier because nobody would have listened to that message but if that would have been my message maybe we would have had a better chance and now so many Americans are right back at the starting point in 2009 thinking that once again we don't surround them they surround us yet just as it was seven years ago, it's still true today. If Americans can change themselves, as Glenn said, they will have completed the first step 
to changing the world. From Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. Uh, if you want to watch that uh, special, I mean, it, it's good to listen to it, but it's unbelievable to watch it. Available at glennbeck.com slash serial. Um, and may I just say, Pat, who wrote that, true dad. <laughs> That's powerful. Uh, th- yeah, thank you. I thought so. Did you, I, I think, did you first yeah. use true dad in the Restoring Courage uh, event? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I believe that was uh, in the Take Back Your Square in the great 1979 Times Square rally that I did. Oh, wow. That wow. A lot of people wow. don't remember. Powerful, though. It worked. That worked. Yeah. It worked there, too. I was saying, you know, to the hookers, take this square back. Yeah, well, that, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, Actually, it did. And then it Giuliani came in and, and cleaned the whole place up. But that's anyway, that's a different story. Casper. Casper makes the most comfortable mattress you have ever slept on. And now uh, they have engineered another mattress. This one is a dog mattress. It is designed with the same brilliant engineering team behind the Casper Sleep products. So while you're getting a good night's sleep, we have um, Ella, who is... We're going to lose another one. What? Really? (sighs) Ella is old. Luckily, this one is Tanya's dog, and I'm not so close to Ella, but I know it's going to kill me when she dies because i'll watch my she's not doing well no she's she's got a really bad back and so she's in pain and so you get to this place again where you're like you know Mm -hmm. anyway she's been on medicine for a long long time to relieve the pain but there is a there is another way pat's back my back is better because i sleep on a casper mattress what about your dog Pressure-leaving memory foam, durable support foam to create a bed that your dog will absolutely love. It's easy to clean, machine-washable cover, hidden zipper, and it keeps its shape over time. Plus, the dog mattress can be tried out for 100 nights. If the dog doesn't love it, ship it back. No questions asked. And you right now can save money off of your Casper mattress with the purchase of your mattress. Save 50 bucks at Casper.com, promo code BECK. That's Casper.com, promo code BECK. Terms and conditions do apply. Program. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Bill O'Reilly's coming up next. What's your bet? Do I make it easy for him or do I make his life a living hell? I think you make it easy. Oh. What? No way. Hell. I think you kiss him and no. hug him. Kiss him and hug him. Hold him tight. Oh, yeah. that's no fun. Mm. Yeah, I know. I mean, I like Bill O'Reilly because I can give him hell yeah. and make him squirm. Well, I thought we were supposed to guess. Uh, I was hoping you were going to tell us what you what you are going to do. What are you You're going gonna to do? You're just going to have to find out now, aren't you? I guess so. You're just going to have to find out. Bill O'Reilly is coming up next uh, on most of this program. Also, something that I think that... Some of this uh, program won't be hosting him? No, some of it won't. All right. Some of it won't. Most of this program will, but some of it won't. Okay. Um, and uh, also, I want to talk to you a little bit about the NCAA. Yes, Glenn Beck wants to talk to you about this, but it is about your freedom. Your religious freedom. Uh, 
Gang, there is a huge wake-up call coming uh, for your faith and your freedom, and you better stand together now. We'll give that to you. Bill O'Reilly, next. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Ah, so have you ever tried FanDuel before? Uh, FanDuel is a weekly fantasy football, uh, and fa- fantasy football is great. But a lot of times you get in the draft and you pick, I don't know, someone like Keenan Allen who, you know, busts his knee up uh, in game one on a cut where no one's touching him, and then your season gets ruined. Uh, fantasy, it's tough. It's very difficult. Uh, are you really going to make Glenn was going to make a military draft joke there. Let me just tell you the real thing. Okay, fan, fantasy fan, uh, football at FanDuel is the place to go. Try FanDuel now. Get up to 50 bucks in free entries. New users who deposit will get five free entries to NFL 50-50 beginner contest. You just got to finish in the top half of the group. It's valued at $50. You'll get one free entry a week for five weeks. So you're talking about a third of the season on them. Pretty cool. Uh, the value of uh, free entries is varies based on the deposited amount. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my promo code STU. It's FanDuel.com, promo code STU, FanDuel.com, promo code STU. Void, we're prohibited. All right, I don't know. Hey, Bill O'Reilly joins the program right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Let's bring the one, the only, the legend, the man, Mr. Bill O'Reilly. Beck, is that Abba singing your little theme song there? I thought they were retired. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The first thing out of his mouth, right? I mean, right out of the chute. Right out of his mouth. I'm getting my dancing machine on Look, look Look what happens. Right out of the chute. So, Bill, let me ask you this. Sure. Uh, I have been threatened uh, by Sean Hannity using his karate on me. Yeah. Do you do you have a brown belt or a blue belt or a black belt? Only in intellectual prowess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's no threats coming your way. Never, Beck. I, you know, you're my pal. Why would I do that? Mm, well, let's not let's not exaggerate. Um, <laughs> So Bill is off Killing Someone Else, a new book. Uh, this one's Killing the Rising Sun. He's run out of people to kill. Oh, now, he's, wow. now he's killing an entire nation of people. Wow. The hatred never stops with Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> the book is uh, Killing of the Rising Sun, How America Vanquished World War II Japan. So Bill, um, w- what's in here that you know, makes it worth reading? Well, first of all, uh, when the book was released on Tuesday, the first day out, it sold 103,000 copies. A lot of stupid wow. people. Why? Right. What's in stu- it? Is that, is that a lot of stupid people? Oh, I mean, why? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what's on. in there? I mean, you can get, you know, this I know the, the power six, of Bill O'Reilly. He hypnotizes you. He looks at the... This is the sixth book in the series. If they weren't any good, believe me, 100,000 people wouldn't be buying them the first day. Your question about what you'll learn... <laughs> Is yeah. a good one. 
because yes. history has been um, kind of trampled by mm. boring people who just recite things that they've been told. This one puts you on Iwo Jima, Saipan, Okinawa, and Hiroshima. You, the reader, will experience what happened there. And that's the formula that makes the killing book successful, is that it's just not a recitation of facts. It's drama and real people. And our research centers on Marines and soldiers and naval uh, people who wrote letters not pinheads and, you know, who did all this research about, you know, talking to this one and that one. But we get down with the folks. And one of the compelling stories that I know you'll enjoy once you get around to having someone read the book to you (laughs) is how a woman survived Hiroshima by being three minutes late to her job. And that's the Mm -hmm. kind of stuff we have. Well, I I read that story because I did read the book. Did you really? No, I'm lying completely, but... I'm no, I wouldn't be <laughs> completely right. But um, <laughs> I, I thought I'd give it a shot here for a second. Um, no, Bill. Here, here's the thing um, uh, that I would really like your perspective on. What is why do we not know who the Japanese really were? Because I mean, it's not politically correct mm-hmm. for. But when did that? Ch- but when did the education system to actually tell the urchins the truth about so, their country? But when did that when did that happen? I mean, because you in World War Two, you were about 70. Yeah. So what <laughs> when did did we know during World War Two that they were slaughtering 20 million Chinese, that they were, you know, having games of butchery? Um, did we know those things at the time? Yeah, it was reported uh, in the Chinese uh, atrocities in the 30s. Um, the major newspapers in America did report that the Japanese went in and um, murdered people, raped women, uh, you know, en masse. That was reported. Um, but then when World War II started, unlike the European theater, where there were a lot of American reporters, there were very few in the Pacific theater. It was, number one, too dangerous to drop them on the islands. And number two, MacArthur, who was in charge of the Pacific theater, as you know, didn't want the American public to see what kind of horror was unfolding on these islands because there were no prisoners on either side. Nobody took prisoners. So they did not want that reported, and therefore there was a news blackout. And to this day, people really don't know what happened um, and how Japan was defeated, which is why I wrote the book. Yeah, you're, you, we've done an interview on the book before, and a much more serious one than this. Um, but I can't take another 15 minutes of you being serious. Um, uh, but you and I did an interview, and I, I, I did an episode that's going to air uh, soon uh, on the show that I do called The Vault, where we're talking about World War II and the Japanese. And I don't know if you're aware of Unit 731. Bill, are you aware of that? No, I am not. Okay, this is unbelievable. Unit 731 it, were doing the same kinds of things that the nasty Nazi doctors were doing. Um, they were they were doing live vivisections. This and is the Japanese. The Japanese were right, doing it. Right. We right. excused all of them and said, "Hey, in exchange for the research, we won't try you." I'm I'm just puzzled by why we why we don't look at the communists and their atrocities. We don't look at the Japanese and their atrocities, but we focus all on uh, the German, and then us. We call our what, us saving the world from those nightmares atrocities. 
look, the the problem with the reportage in uh, after Japan was defeated is that there was censorship. There was censorship in the European theater, but the European theater was so uh, in your face when they liberated the concentration camps and then Hitler was this evil icon. Didn't have that in Japan. Uh, MacArthur was sympathetic to uh, the Japanese people. He had a long history uh, with his father of dealing with them. So he didn't want to crush them like Patton did. Uh, he wanted to defeat them. And, and, and by the way, MacArthur was against dropping the atom bomb because he wanted to invade and get the glory of the victory himself. And just to prove to you that I did read the book, you talk about him being in Manila at the time. Right. Do you want to describe that? Well, MacArthur was not a battlefield commander uh, per se. He stayed behind the lines and, and was a glory hound. Not like, it was totally the opposite from Patton. Um, but MacArthur was a good tactician. I mean, I think Nimitz was probably better. But the combination of the Army and Navy commanders, you know, put the, uh, the Japanese on the defensive from the beginning. However, the, the question is, why were we lenient to the Japanese? There's two reasons why the United States, Harry Truman, and MacArthur didn't punish them the way that the Germans were punished. Number one, the Japanese people pretty much cooperated. Um, they didn't give us a hard time. They surrendered, and once it was over, it was over. Number two, we did execute Tojo and a number of other war criminals. But there wasn't that hunt that there was for the SS because, again, they were so demonized. The concentration camps were so overwhelmingly emotional that you, the, the authorities had to do that. And Patton got in trouble because he didn't really want to uh, go in and, and, and take apart the German society. But in Japan, MacArthur got away with pretty much leaving the status quo. Hirohito actually kept his job as emperor. They didn't remove him. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any power, well, they didn't think, but they didn't they, want any trouble with the Japanese. They wanted him to fall into line. Right, and they, they actually thought that because the peasants were so convinced that they were winning that, in that after that last bomb, they actually thought that you know, there was a chance that the peasants would take over the military and, and uh, continue the war. We didn't know until the very last minute. Well, they weren't going to surrender. There's no doubt about that. The Japanese were not going to surrender. And if anybody thinks they were, then you're just a fool. Because even after Hiroshima, they didn't surrender. Right. Um, and they were arming children, uh, women. Yeah, those last uh, Even though Tokyo uh, was destroyed, literally, by conventional bombing, that still didn't break uh, the Japanese spirit. There still wasn't a coup d'etat against Hirohito. It was an attempt, but it was fought back. Um, so, so do you think... Do you think that this was a? Do you think the the um, history is um, against uh, America or against atomic weapons or both? Because well, the, 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 the firebombing. Hang on, hang on, just a second. The firebombing in Tokyo um, killed more people. Killed many yeah. more people, yeah. and a a, a a group of homeless the size of Chicago came out of that city. 125 square miles was destroyed by firebombing. And yet you don't hear that. No, you only the hear the bomb is such right. a backdoor that mm-hmm. people lock in on that. Uh, right. And by the way, uh, when you're here in uh, North Korea testing and uh, Iranian nukes, the uh, nuclear weapons we have today are 100,000 hundred thousand times more powerful than the atom bomb. So when, when you read Killing the Rising Sun and, and you're imagining the horror that that took place there. I mean, it's unspeakable what would happen now if they ever dropped these things. But you basically have, the reason I wrote this book was because of Reverend Jeremiah Wright. 
Obama's former pastor when he said after 9-11, justifying the attack, that America's chickens come home to roost because we dropped the bombs on Japan. That so offended me. I was so appalled. I said, you know what? Someday I'm going to write a book and correct a record on this. And that's how that book got on the board. I I, I will tell you, Bill, um, uh, it is a fantastic book. And what you've done with the presidents afterwards, you've gone back to the living presidents. And uh, Bill Clinton wouldn't participate, neither would Barack Obama, but the other ones um, did participate. and, And you asked them, would you have done it? And you don't believe that Bill Clinton um, answered that because he doesn't want to have to answer to the left, doesn't want controversy now. Right. Yeah, we, uh, I asked five living presidents to give me a personal letter whether they would have supported Truman and dropped the bomb. The two Bushes and Jimmy Carter did, and they all said they would have dropped the atom bomb. Obama did not. Um, just speculation, just on my part, just speculation. I just don't think he would have dropped it. No, I don't either. Okay. I don't either. Do, you th- do you think Bill Clinton would have? Yes, but I didn't. Uh, you were absolutely hit. Clinton didn't want to, you know, raise any yeah. uh, controversy on the left by saying that. Mm-hmm. And you so know, he it, passed. it is, and you point this out in the book. It, it was the compassionate thing to do. Millions would have died yes. on both sides. No, didn't they estimate four million Japanese? Four million Japanese were saved by by a non-invasion. Yeah, it, it because was, it, they weren't. It, it, the, you have to understand the mindset. It was like a lot like the Nazi mindset. Um, is it's that, more like ISIS, I think. Well, it's the same. It's the same thing. I always say ISIS is, is uh, Hitler light. I mean, that, that's what they mm-hmm. are. There's no difference between the Third Reich, SS, and all that, and ISIS. There's no difference. Uh, um, but the, the mindset is: look, uh, we're willing to give our life for uh, the Emperor Hirohito, the Living God. And where do you see this guy? How? When the, when you read the book, what Hirohito is really like, and this is the living God. I yeah. mean, it's worse than Henry VIII found in the religion in uh, in uh, England. I mean, come yeah, on. No, it was it was it's pretty nuts. Bill, you bring up the Nazi side of this, and and you know Hitler thought you know as we're losing, I want as we're retreating, I want the bridges blown up, I want all of our infrastructure destroyed so the enemy doesn't get a hold of it. And there are people there like Albert Speer who said hey, wait a minute, uh, I'm not going to do that, and defied his orders at the last minute, even with all that dedication. Were there people like that on the Japanese side? Who... Not that we know of, because it was the Japanese secret police were more effective than the Gestapo, and if there was any dissenters, they mm. were beheaded immediately. Um, you know, that society was so tight and so closed. Um, but one of the interesting parts about uh, Killing the Rising Sun is the reason that FDR fast-tracked the atom bomb research in New Mexico was because Hitler was doing it. And, and they feared, they being the American authorities, they feared the Third Reich would get this bomb. And, of course, if they had gotten it, they'd use it. And that's why Hitler was allowed to hang on by his generals, because his generals knew that they were, had these super weapons in development, and that would turn the thing around, which is why they fought um, harder than they might have. But the Japanese were a different story. The Japanese were so fanatical and so crazy um, that they were going to die for the emperor because that's their code, Bushido. Um, you know, you have to die for the emperor. And, and they were. And that, that includes little kids, women, everybody. Bill, always good to uh, have you on. And um, Well, no, it's not. But this time it was good to have you on. And, you know, and I, appreciate I really appreciate you having me on your fine program. And I, Thanks, I want you to do me one favor. Will you do me one favor? I'll try to. All right. Say hello to Abba for me. I really am a big fan. <laughs> Bill O'Reilly. 
So you actually did read the book this time, huh? Not one word of it. <laughs> Not one word of it. And uh, I didn't want to break my record of Bill O'Reilly books at this point. Oh, right. <laughs> sounds like actually, it sounds great. Oh, it is. Yeah, it sounds it is. great. I have read enough of it, and he was on with me. We're doing a deal on The Vault um, where he's a guest on The Vault, and we're talking about this, and I have, I have artifacts that he had never seen. Um, we, we took them out. Of, we have 8,000 artifacts, historic artifacts, in The Vault. And uh, next week is the premiere episode, next Wednesday, on the Blaze TV. And in an upcoming episode, we talk about this. And when you hear who the Japanese were, you've never heard these stories before. Yeah. You've never heard them before. And there's, if you knew them, there would be no, not a second of thought about should we have dropped the bomb. And one reason he wrote this book, the other reason why I'm, I, it's the same reason I'm, I'm doing like the vault in his story. I'm doing these two shows because your kids are going to go into class and they're going to have to be, they'll be asked this question. The only thing on Common Core is about the United States dropping the bomb. That's all they included in the Common Core tests uh, for World War II. No context. No context at all. Yeah. Your kids have to have context and they will not find it in school books. So Bill O'Reilly's book and also The Vault that's on Wednesdays on the Blaze TV. Get this one because Bill's running out of dead people to kill. Oh, no. So. He's, next thing he's going to be, I don't know. He's, who's he going to be killing next? What Milky country? Way. What continent? It'll he's probably be. all the people. Now he's killing, he's killing oh. entire countries. It'll have to be he the planet. Like the death ray, the death star mm-hmm. of books. I believe it's going to be killing Harambe. That is the next book. Be, oh, nice. Don't you think? All of a sudden, we're all going to say, I feel like there That's were millions call. of voices that just cried out. Yeah, Bill O'Reilly just published another book. <laughs> um, and now this, my de- uh, medical identity is a growing theft, uh, is a growing problem. Medical identity, they're, they're stealing your driver's license and your health insurance card. And then they are going in for surgeries. And they're going in for prescription drugs and, and medical devices. And they bill it all to you. They're even hijacking your identity to sign up for Medicare. Cleaning up your record is a long and nasty prog- uh, process. So what you need is lifelockluck.com because they will spot it before it gets to be nasty. Are you having this surgery, Mr. Beck? No, I'm not. I, I would like to have a breast removed, but that's not me. Um, and then Pakistan of all places. Yeah, if that's there. if that's happening, um, they have uh, somebody who works here in the United States that is helping you clean all of this up off of your record. Nobody can do that. Now, nobody also can prevent all identity theft, monitor all transactions, but they are the best at finding identity theft and then cleaning it up. Membership starting at nine ninety nine a month plus the sales tax. Go to LifeLock.com or call eight hundred four four zero forty nine thirty six. Use the promo code Beck. Save 10% off your LifeLock Ultimate Plus membership. It's 1-800-440-4936. LifeLock.com, promo code BECK, 1-800-440-4936. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Mercury. The Glenn Beck Program. You want to know what the Japanese are really like and what we were fighting against? 
Um, watch Hacksaw Ridge, the new movie that is coming out uh, by Mel Gibson. It is, I, I'm telling you, it is the most bizarre movie I've ever seen because of the way it starts out. The first half of the movie is like a Nicholas Sparks movie. You're like, oh, and your wife will love it. Oh, this is sweet. Oh, look, they're in love. And then he goes to war to fight the Japanese. And it is the most, it makes Braveheart look tame. Um, it is wow. the most brutal war scene I have ever seen. And the people who have seen it already, who I know that are military guys, they're all like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it's like. And this was one of the most brutal places in uh, World War II. And when you see what the, I mean, it's ISIS. It is ISIS. They don't care. There's no prisoners. There's no mercy. It is crazy. It's crazy. Look up, look up U-731. Um, it was Unit 731 of the Japanese. You will go down a wormhole for a week on this. We have it coming up on, on uh, an episode of um, uh, The Vault, which, by the way, please watch our new history shows on Blaze. Uh, I have been waiting to do these shows for almost five years, and I finally have assembled the team to help me get it done, and they are so good. The first one which is the first history show is called His Story. Um, and uh, that aired last night. You can see it for free today at glenbeck.com. Uh, watch the whole episode, commercial free. Just stream it. Do it now. Your boss isn't watching. Um, and unless you're working here, because the boss is watching. <laughs> um, but uh, go to glenbeck.com and stream it for free today. Um, and... In a couple of weeks, next week, we uh, have another history show that debuts at 5 o'clock, and that is um, The Vault. And this one, we got into U-731 and what the Japanese did and who they really were. I'll tell you some of the stories uh, coming up Coming up next. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Hey, here's, uh, here's something we're going to get to tomorrow. I, I think this is just fantastic. Motherless babies are now possible as scientists create live offspring without the need for a female egg. Nice. Hmm? Nice. Isn't that great? Yes. Who needs a mom? So women now are not, because we've been talking, for, we've been hearing from uh, the left for a men long time that men aren't necessary. Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, women, women aren't, aren't necessary, necessary either. either. How about that? Huh? How about that? Of course, who's going to feed them? Well, I guess we have, you know, artificial baby food now, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Wasn't it Trump that was like, I would never change a diaper. I just have the kid and then they raise him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's, maybe we can get to that level. I kinda, That'd be great. Yeah, love go. that. Nah, let's just have robots. Never why not just? Humans. Yeah, why? Yeah, why have humans? There is the story uh, that came out what earlier this week that uh, cyber sex they say is going to be so much better. Oh yes, 
than... Oh, my gosh, yes. What? Oh, my gosh, yes. Plus, they, the studies that are proving that uh, the, uh, the, to live longer, mm-hmm. life, rampant sex is important to have. So there's studies in Italy that they've got cities that a high percentage of people living there are over 100 years old. And one of the reasons that they're over 100 years old is, is that they're having rampant sex. A good case for robot sex, I think. Rampant is not robot. Those are different words. I don't know if you know that. Uh, same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about uh, the whole human interaction thing. that eh, It's overrated. That is, that will be the attitude. That will be the attitude. I mean, we are just looking at the destruction of all mankind. We really are. The end of the human race is within, what, two generations? We kept down this course. Oh, it might be co- faster than that. Yeah, we keep going down this course, and, and you get AI, and uh, you will be making babies because you have to. If... The robots think that we that that we're necessary, right? I mean, we're just looking at the extinction of the human race. It's incredible. No. Mm-hmm. Us being humans being necessary is questionable. Oh, I think if I was a computer, wow. I would think that I would think that humans are the problem. Yeah, you want a perfectly balanced uh, society. I mean, it, look, they're the ultimate progressive. I know better than you do. In except in their case, they usually do. But and there's no human emotion. There's no. It's all calculated, and so you can change humans. There's no calculation on humans. So you know that human spirit is that dynamic that both makes us great and throws us off track. So if I'm a computer, I'm like, yeah, the problem is humans. We'll never destroy the world. We'll just keep a perfect balance here. Happened in the uh, documentary The Matrix. Um, Yeah, it wasn't a documentary. No, you just probably didn't see it. But they initially they created the perfect society. Yeah. But humans couldn't help but screw it up, and uh, that's why they made the changes. I remember when that came out. I thought that's crazy. Blah blah blah. I could see that happening by 2050. I could see something like that happening by 2050, 2070. Uh, there was something, there was a story yesterday that, uh, was it IBM or some programmer said there's a 50% chance we are in the Matrix right now? Oh, no, it was uh, Zuckerberg. He said that a few months ago. Yeah, but somebody else just said it, and there really? was a story on it yesterday, yeah. yeah. 50% chance we are in a Matrix. And may I just say, if this is the <laughs> Matrix, I want out. Yeah. Yeah, we should tell our computer overlords. That, yeah. Uh, just make it the perfect society. Out. We yeah, were wrong please. to play with it. Yeah. Switch it back I mean, to the good model. Yeah, jeez, mm-hmm. for the love of Pete. Imagine how, like, the, if this Wouldn't is... Wouldn't this be horrible if you found out this was the Matrix? How bad is life on the outside? Oof. Oof. Ugh. And it was bad in the, yeah. in the documentary as well. I mean, Again, that wasn't a. <laughs> it was bad on the outside. It was, it, on the it outside. was not. It was everything was seemingly very dirty. Uh, there was not yeah. a lot of. Uh, there weren't a lot of gleaming, uh, glittery cities. Yeah. No, it, was dis- it wasn't it was, a documentary. It was disappointing. Let me switch the subjects here. Um, uh, I want to. Um, I, I want to take you to yesterday. Uh, we did um, his story for the first time. We have done. Um, a history show that uh, I'm really, really proud of. We're, we're doing three different kinds of history shows. We're doing The Vault, we're doing His Story, and then Founding Fridays are going to be coming back here. 
probably at the beginning of the year. And we're really focusing on history, but we're doing history different than you've ever seen um, us do anything before. And I think that, have you watched this show yet? I haven't seen it yet, no. It is, it's, it's, it's available for free though, right? Yeah, it's available for free. You can download it right now or stream it right now at glenbeck.com or you can watch it on uh, Tuesdays uh, at uh, theblaze.com slash TV. But I want to play a little bit. Should we play the uh, Edison part? We just, we had played earlier a clip of um, um, Kessler, this guy who was an axe murderer. I think the axe murderer that nobody pays attention to uh, that happened in the 1880s, the first guy to be killed by the electric chair, I think is the turning point um, of Edison going from a kind of a good guy to a really dark figure. And also the turning point for Tesla as well. From part one of Edison and Tesla, here's a little bit on Edison, I think. The axe murderer is William Kemmler, and he's in uh, Buffalo. But we have to go to Ohio, where we find Thomas Edison, middle of the 1800s, before the Civil War. He's a kid, um, in, and I like him at the beginning. Um, he's, he is a go-getter. He is um, a dreamer, but a doer. He's got a, a, like a little science experiment in his basement. He's like every kid who ever, you know, ever got a magic kit through the mail or a chemistry set through the mail, and they were down in the basement and, and working on stuff. And that's what Thomas Edison did. Um, by the time I think he's, I don't know, 10, 12, he's working at the railroad. And he is, he's p- printed his own newspaper and he's selling his newspaper. Can you imagine being 12 years old and then, go, you know, hey, I want my newspaper for a nickel. You would be reading a 12 year old's newspaper. He's done it and he's selling these on the train and he's making money. He's popular also on the train, at least popular enough to be on the train um, and have access to the luggage compartment where the conductor of the train has said, kid, I like you. He said, I just want to set up shop here. And he was, I mean, he was making his own stuff for sale. I just want to set up a little, kind of a little laboratory. I don't know what he called it, most likely not a laboratory. I just need to set a little something up. Well, it was a laboratory. And lo and behold, he's mixing and sets the luggage compartment on fire. They don't want him on the train anymore. But it doesn't stop him from being a go-getter and hanging around the train. One day, a, um, a young boy falls on the track and is about to be run over by the train. And young Thomas Edison grabs him and pulls him back just in time to save his life. Well, little did he know, the kid he just saved, his father, is the station master. And so now the station master is kind of in Thomas Edison's debt. And he says, kid, whatever you want, what do you want? I, when I read that, I thought he was going to say, I don't know, a science lab in the next train. Um, But what he said was, teach me how to use the telegraph. 
And so he learns how to use the telegraph. And so you know, later in life, the telegraph plays such an important role in his life that he actually names his kids, the nicknames, Dot and Dash. And so he learns how to use the telegraph. The telegraph at this point is just starting to take off only one message at a time. Um, and as he grows, the Civil War happens, and now he's running the telegraph office, and now he is running telegrams to the um, Union, Union troops. He goes through this for quite some time, um, and then he settles down and he realizes, okay, I'm not going to be a telegraph operator my whole life. I want to invent. I want to do something big. He's got a billion ideas. And he thinks, I can change the world. I can make the world a better place. His first invention was, uh, was a voting tabulator. All it did was, was tabulate yes or no. And because he was reading and watching what was happening in Washington, and he realized that the, the legislature in Washington, the House and the Senate, and all the legislatures in all 50 states, they would have to vote with a voice. And then somebody had to count it, and it would take a long time. So he thought, oh, this is great. I can change the world. I can make the world a better place. I'm going to sell them my electronic vote calculator. And that way somebody says, yay, one, nay, two. And it just automatically counts. All you do is you just turn a dial in front of each legislature. You'll have the vote that fast. He went down to Washington, and he presented it to them. And uh, he was standing there, and they said, why would we want something that would give us an accurate count of the votes and shave time off of the vote itself? Broom, kid, broom. He was um, dejected. In my reading of his story, this is a really important turning point. He goes from a kid that wants to change the world and wants to do incredible things and dream to a kid that now says, I'm never going to invent something unless, it's, unless it makes money. That's just uh, that's the opening few minutes of uh, his story. Uh, and Edison goes really dark. It's a really dark story. Really dark story. Two parts. You can watch it um, every week, Tuesdays, 5 o'clock, only on the Blaze TV. Uh, today, you can download it for free or you can just watch it for free. Stream it at glenbeck.com. You mentioned earlier you thought Tesla won, but everyone thinks Edison won. I, I mean, I would hate to win like Tesla. I mean, this is not a fun outcome of his life. Yeah, no, he's... Well, he won the ACDC battle. Yeah, he won the ACDC battle, and... Um, he's the one who I wrote think, uh, uh, Back in Black. No. 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 I was, um, and, but I, I think that... And, uh, but thank you for that reference. Um, <laughs> but I think that uh, um, Tesla is not caught up to his time yet. Right. He seems to be mm-hmm. now... He's just, just getting that... Yeah, he's you know, now just starting. I mean, fear. when you charge your, your phone or your iPad... Um, you know, on the little charger station where you don't have to plug anything in. What is that called? Uh, induction. Wireless charger. Yeah, wireless yeah. charger. That's him. That's Tesla. He saw that. He described mm-hmm. 
the cell phone in like 1890. He said, I have this vision of this device that you could carry and you'd be able to communicate. You'd be able to see pictures from all around. You'd be able to do all kinds of things. With it. I know. Yeah, We're I just know. catching up to him. So he's still... He's still ahead of his time. I mean, in his <laughs> one of his big life life inventions was to try to get power to everyone in the world coming from what At, one centralized tower. Yes, that he was spending right, money in free. some shady way to try to make that happen. Right. Um, but still, it was an amazing thing that you you think might at some point come into mm. reality, maybe not that way. Watch his story. It, it could come that way. Watch his story because. Um, in episode two, which is the conclusion of, of the Edison Tesla story, um, the lesson that you that I take from these men's stories is uh, when you gather Wall Street, government, uh, and a greedy inventor, you'll you'll always go wrong, and you'll destroy the real future. But you're saying greed. Uh, and, and, and government. And government, bad combination? Bad combination, believe it or not. <laughs> Let me tell you now about American Financing. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334. That NMLS. Is that necessary every time? You have to ask Jeffy. Really? It would be you and Pat that are doing those. No, no, that was Jeffy. That's Jeffy. That's Jeffy. Falling into debt happens. Unexpected home repairs. Maybe you lost your job for a few months. You got behind. If you feel like you're in a hole and you don't know how to get out, there are ways. Um, And my way usually is to avoid things. And that never works out. If you feel like you're in that hole and you want a way out, American Financing can consolidate your high-interest debt into one manageable monthly payment. Um. (laughs) Interest... Interest rates are at all-time lows, and it's a great time to refinance and consolidate your debts. Lowering just your interest rate can save you as much as $500 to $1,000 every month. I want you to call American Financing. Their mortgage consultants are salary-based, so they're not working uh, on commission. They're not trying to sell you something. They're trying to help you. Um, I think these guys are the best finance company in the, in the country. AmericanFinancing.net. 866-750-6551, 866-750-6551, AmericanFinancing.net. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Beck program. No, yeah, you're. We're just talking about you know Donald Trump's weight is too. It's now. It's interesting. There's been. Mo- I, I saw where it said he was two thirty six. Yeah, two conflicting reports. No, two sixty seven and two thirty six. No yeah. way is he forty one pounds swing. I mean, I know that's not a big deal Huge. for Jeffy in an afternoon, but I mean, I'm thinking oh, for normal. And I uh, look. He, he's he's at least my size, and he is. And I'm two forty two. Well, Jeffy ate a herd of cattle 42. yesterday, and that 42. added how many pounds? <laughs> and you ate that herd. Forty two point five. Okay. You know what six three is supposed to be? 
148 to like 190 or something. It 148? You can't be six. You imagine a 6'3 guy at 148? That's no, crazy. That's ludicrous. That is true. Ludicrous. No. That's just, I mean, put, what is it? The, the anti food people coming out with that chart? Yes. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.